Did you know more than one in seven U.S. adults have kidney disease and many don't know it? This National Kidney Month, find out what causes kidney disease and what you can do to take control of your health. Take a no-cost Kidney Smart class online at www.davita.com slash kidneysmart. That's www.davita.com slash kidneysmart. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Panic's the wrong word. You know, my, my instinct on Henderson is that he'll probably be back in a week or a couple of weeks, but I, I really, if you're in a mixed league, I, I think if you have the reserve slots or if you have the flexibility it's probably time to try to stash some low-cost guys and lens from someone who, who's certainly going to be available. Episode 13 of Flags Fly Forever, Baseball Prospectus Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, Brett Sayer, and with me, as always, is Mike Ginella and Mauricio Rubio. Um, how are you guys doing this fine opening day, Mike? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, it's really exciting to actually be watching multiple games, you know, on my MLB package that matter. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really fun. It's it's good to have baseball back. Yeah, it was. How are you doing, man? I'm I'm doing great. It was 60 degrees today. I was out at uh, White Sox Park for uh, opening day. Uh, it was just ah. it, was, it was a really good day to be out there watching baseball. You rub shoulders with Jose Abreu. Uh, you know, I, it, I we were close, uh, but I was intimidated by his shoulders, so I kind of kept my distance. Yeah, we got to. Uh... Brett and I got to plan a trip to uh, just a minor league game sooner rather than later because I'm about 20, 25 minutes from Trenton, which is the double-A affiliate for the Yankees. But there's some other parks in Jersey and in the, you know, the PA side by Brett where we, we definitely need to hit up some games. Oh, yeah. man. You guys yeah. need to write about those, too, those trips. Yeah, as the weather warms up, more, uh, more opportunities uh, arise, which is always good. Um, so, uh, we'll get the, uh, housekeeping out of the way and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Um, you can find all of us at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and our respective handles. I am at dynasty guru. Uh, Mike is at Mike Gianella. That's G I A N E L L A. And Mauricio is at M Rubio 52. If you have a question for us, and we are going to jump into a reader email right after this, 
you can reach us at flags fly forever at baseballprospectus.com. And if you are listening to us on iTunes, we ask that you rate and review us because it makes us grow magical unicorn horns. And, uh, that is about it, right? Am I missing anything? I always feel like I'm missing something. You said the unicorn horns, right? Yes. Unicorn horns. All right. We're good. Yes. Um, so we are going to start this week, um, with a reader email from, uh, from John. Now, uh, John, John asked about a, um, a topic that is somewhat, somewhat near and dear to my heart. And, um, so, uh, it's a good way to, uh, to get us to read your email on the show. If you, if you send in stuff that is particularly meaningful to one of us. So John says, in a deep league, the waiver wire is often filled with guys that don't play every day and usually for good reason. How can the daily lineup changer work platoon splits and take advantage of this? Left versus right splits make sense, but are home away splits reliable? What is the ideal one-day platoon guy? A left-right split, a home-away split, or does it depend on if the pitcher has a left or right split? Where does the reasonably internet-savvy guy find this information? So um, this is actually going going way back in the uh, in the time machine. This was one of the first um, sort of freestyle pieces I wrote uh, after coming over to Baseball Prospectus last preseason. I um, I took a couple of different scenarios and uh, talked about how you can how you can use platoon players both from a ballpark perspective and from a uh, handedness perspective to uh, to really get to really get an advantage out of the uh, out of your your bench spots in, in daily leagues just to give an example when I was when I was looking at this from from 2012 I actually conducted a whole exercise um, and went through the entire season if you had just used these platoon players strictly the way you know I, I sort of laid out um, so essentially you know you, I'll put the I'll put the link in the um, in the blog post for the for the podcast but if you took if you took Dexter Fowler's home splits and Jason Kubel's home splits from 2012 and combine them and use them only when they were each respectively at home. Uh, you essentially got um, Matt Holiday, which is way better than each of those guys individually. And then the platoon splits was even more, was even more jarring because if you took uh, my, my example were uh, Garrett Jones and Cody Ross, who are, are nobody's ideas of fantastic fantasy players but if you put them together and use them the right way they became a couple dollars shy of josh hamilton that's that's the the good josh hamilton before he started falling off a cliff um so it is it is definitely possible to take advantage of this especially in in deeper leagues i mean obviously it becomes a lot more difficult the deeper you get uh so you can't exactly do it in in an only format or even even like a 20 team mix league but if you're in you know 14 16 team mix league it, it is a really good way to uh to sort of grab a little excess value from your from your reserve spots um so i guess before before i dive in any any further um is this 
is this something that you guys have uh, have used before? Or is this uh, is this something you are you are considering using? How do you, how do you guys generally use your bench spots when you have daily lineup change leagues? Well, I you know to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience with it. Um, I was in an expert league last year that was a daily league, and it was a twelve team mixed. Uh, it was just difficult in that league because the reserve spots were pretty limited. So it was kind of hard to implement that strategy. It certainly was something I'd take a look at, but most of what I was looking at was just to see who was starting and who wasn't. Because with a four-man reserve in a mixed league like that, you're sort of limited, and, and most of what you're looking at are, are pitchers and, and matchups from that standpoint. And most of what I was trying to maximize in that league were reliever strikeouts because it was a start limit league. Uh, I do think it's an interesting idea. It's just, to be honest, it's just not something I have a lot of experience with. And Mauricio, you might have more experience with it because I know you're probably more of a, a mixed league or, or standard format guy than I am. Yeah, I have I have uh, a bit more experience in that because I do play in kind of bigger leagues with uh, deeper rosters. And you end up having to use guys like Justin Vigiano and Nate Scherholtz. And, um, you know, last year the... Uh, uh, you know, guy, a guy like Nate Scherholz was really good against right-handed pitching. I, I think the only wrinkle that I kind of add in there, um, I mean, I it, it, it really depends on home and away splits because every once in a while you're going to get someone like Carlos Gonzalez who just kind of has a reversal of like home road splits or, uh, or improves his road splits as kind of time goes on. Um, but the one wrinkle that I do tend to throw in there is uh, I think we're all familiar with Dank's theory, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those things where you also have to kind of watch the pitcher and make sure, or watch the opposing team's lineup and make sure that um, when you're watching uh, your splits, specifically lefty righty, that your the the pitcher that they're going up against, uh, it, their best weapon isn't a changeup or anything like that that'll kind of uh, mitigate the usefulness of that split. So um, I do it. It requires a lot of work, and it requires a lot of uh, just knowing the the opposing pitcher as well. Because um, you know, specifically in the case of John Danks, you can't just throw a righty out there and be like, "Well, you know, I'm, it's, it's going to be fine," because he, you know, this guy tends to do better against left-handed pitching. Because you you do you do have to take the opposing pitcher into account every once in a while. But uh, yeah, for the most part, <laughs> every once in a while, when you kind of go, uh, uh, you know, uh, hunting out in the waiver wire, you end up having to get Diane Navarro. And, uh, you know, every once in a while it works out, but uh, yeah, those are just kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, the you know there there's definitely not a shortage of information you can try to accumulate when you do stuff like this. I mean, you, you make a good point with a guy like Danks, but those you know those guys tend to be tend tend to be few and far between. So, you know, if you're not someone who sort of has the time to really research each matchup, then um, then as a rule of thumb, it's really there. There are few enough of those guys that it doesn't really make a huge difference when you're uh, when you're looking at it. But uh, to to get back to a, a, a different part of of John's question, um, when you're looking at platoon splits, I tend to I tend to try to avoid looking at single year platoon splits. Um, I, I look at three year platoon splits, and I try to uh, I try to at least uh, look at you know at players with at least 100 to uh, 100 to uh, what's it called uh, 
100 to 150 uh, points of OPS differences between sides. Mm-hmm. Those are those are players that, that over a three-year span have have noticeable splits. Um, so what uh, so what I would say is that you know if you have a if you have a guy like like a Garrett Jones or an Adam Lind or you know guys who are left-handed bats who are genuinely terrible against left-handed hitters but if you weed those out you get you know pretty strong performance against right-handed pitchers you can you can certainly pair them with with guys who sort of kill uh, left-handed pitchers and there, there's there's generally more of more of those around are easier to find. You know, your your sort of Gabby Sanchez's and and Cody Ross's of the world. As, I was gonna mention. Know, I was gonna mention Sanchez is a good daily option. You know, if you're playing that way, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's I, I find that's easier to predict from a player perspective. When you're looking at home road splits, uh, those I tend to sort of ign- almost ignore the batter entirely, um, and just sort of play the park. I mean, you you have you know examples like even like a guy like Dexter Fowler who has uh, a couple seasons on his resume in Colorado with huge splits that are splits that are way way better at home, and he also has seasons where he uh, has you know almost nearly identical home road performance. So you know you you sort of I, I assume when looking at home road splits that everyone regresses to the difference between. Um, what the team does on average, so it sort of plays to the to the factors of the park. But there's a you know there there obviously are are well, examples of of guys who you know might play better in a particular so, situation just because you know of a, a of a particular dimension. But you know so, something I'd bring up, and you know Russell Carlton at Baseball Prospectus has you know written about this and. You know, the original source material of this was, you know, Tom Tango. He made a point about batter versus pitcher matchups that you really have to be careful not to overemphasize those, that they're they're kind of worthless, that even if you are looking at, say, a 10 or 15 at-bat sample, and you multiply that by 10 because you're weighting it more because it's a specific batter and pitcher, you're still looking at a sample size that's just way too small to draw any conclusions from. And, you know, that's kind of where the danger is with that. So I, I agree with you, Brett. Like, I think that as far as, you know, looking at splits, that's definitely useful over, you know, a course of a year or a couple of years. Park factors, you kind of start diving into the weeds too much, and you're really looking at some very tiny numbers that may or may not mean something, you know, particularly because, you know, parks change, fences move in. Like We're, we're looking at a guy like Will Venable, who hit more home runs last year at San Diego as a left-hander, and people are still arguing, like, well, is he going to be able to maintain that, or was it a fluke? And you know, I think the honest answer is we don't know, and we're kind of splitting that down the middle. So to your point, Brett, I do think it's very useful to kind of use these handedness things in, in a 12-team, 14-team mixed. I, I think trying to dive into some other numbers, you have to be really careful not to overemphasize them. Yeah, and I think the the best thing that you can do, which I sort, of, which I which I lay out in in the article, is um, is to do as as good of a job of removing the subjectivity of it as you can, because as soon as you start to get into that, you you will start to mess it up. So if you have a guy like uh, if you say you say you're using Adam Lind, 
and Adam Lind is is the guy you're you're playing against right-handed pitching and he's just on he's just on fire. He's he's having a month where he's hitting 350 with eight home runs and he's facing a, you know, nondescript left-handed pitcher and your tendency is, oh, he's hitting so well, I'm going to throw him in there. That's that's when you get yourself into trouble. You have to you have to have a plan and you have to stick to it or else it will uh, or else it will start going awry on you. I mean, there's a reason why you sat down to try to do this in the first place, and that's not to uh, that's not to play around with it in season. Um, so it, there definitely is room for taking advantage of platoon splits and you know in, in medium size mixed leagues, and I think it's something that more people should do. And honestly, with all, with all the information out there today on um, on daily fantasy leagues, and and we're doing that this year with our with our partnership with with Draft Street. Um, the more information there is on that, the more the more knowledge you're going to have on all of this. The more people are going to be talking about platoon splits and hopefully not talking about pitcher hitter matchups because, as like Mike said, that's completely useless. Um, but it's sort of the more general stuff that uh, that is is going to be useful when you're when you're sitting down to try to do this because um, you know you you can use these bench spots on pitchers and you know especially if you have leagues with um, without start limits or without innings limits and you can sort of uh get chunky with your with your pitcher matchups but if you uh, you know it makes even more sense if you have innings innings limits or start limits because then there's just a limit to how how um how effective the last pitcher on your bench can be based on how much you'll actually be able to use him so uh i think i've talked about this for for long enough now do do you guys have any uh final thoughts on this before we uh before we move on no, I, I just think that it, it's like anything else. It's it's a good, and Mauricio touched on this before, I, I think it's a good tool to use. You know, it's just one of those things that it, it's kind of a, a feature. You don't want to completely rely on it, and you want to have a strong core. But I think with a couple of players on your roster in a standard mix or 12 or 14 team mixed, you could definitely use this to your advantage if, if you kind of pick a player yeah, I, I love the Fowler example, example that you used last year, Brett. You know, he's a perfect player for this, where you can really maximize, you know, your talent. I know I'm just reiterating some of your points, but I, I think that's definitely, it's definitely underutilized as a tool in fantasy. Yeah, and you, you know, you, you, it's all the same issues that you run into in real baseball uh, when when real baseball teams try this. You run into in, in fantasy. I mean, if you have a a real team with four platoons, then you're going to start. You're, you're going to start drying up some of your talent at other positions, given that you have a roster limit. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a fun thing to try out if you're if you're in a league. So I I, I highly recommend, you know, maybe try it for one roster spot. See if you uh, see if you like it. See if it works for you. And it, it could be a way to uh, to uh, squeeze a little extra value out of your roster. So with uh, with that said, we are going to move on to um, a more timely topic. Uh, we're recording this Monday night, and usually it takes a little bit longer than this, but uh, two closers have already lost their jobs. And um, unfortunately for uh, for Mike and, and myself, these are, um, these are two closers that we drafted on our labor team. Uh, of course, we are talking about Jim Henderson of the Brewers and Nate Jones of the White Sox, 
who uh, were passed over for save opportunities on opening day for uh, for Francisco Rodriguez and Matt Lindstrom, respectively. Uh, yes, that that actually happened. So you know, in, instead of instead of talking about specifically about these these scenarios in particular and and these these particular jobs. Um, I, I want to take a step back. I mean, that's that's not really what we what we intend this podcast to be to be a sort of a regurgitating of, of news kind of thing. So, t- taking a step back, when when you're in April, and I mean, I, I know we're still in March and we're recording this, so this is way earlier than usual. But if you're in April and you're faced with a situation where your closer has at least temporarily lost its lost his job, how? Uh, Mike, what do you think is the best approach to take, just uh, just overall, and uh, what, how how much you should panic, not panic, um, or uh, or make any uh, sudden sudden moves to, uh, to to counteract that? What are your what are your thoughts? I, I think a lot of this depends on format. You know, I'd, I'd like to say that you shouldn't panic or make a move or worry. Unfortunately. You know, we, we've seen situations where the manager makes a change, you know, and somebody's going well. And, you know, Jim Henderson was the example last year. You know, he took over for John Axford. And I think people were like, well, you know, maybe Axford will bounce back or come in. Managers tend to stick with a guy when he's doing well, which, which is kind of my concern. You know, as a Henderson owner, I have Henderson in Tout Wars, too. So I've got a few shares of him. Panic's the wrong word. You know, my, my instinct on Henderson is that he'll probably be back in a week or a couple of weeks. But I, I really, if you're in a mixed league, I, I think if you have the reserve slots or if you have the flexibility, it's probably time to try to stash some low-cost guys. And Lindstrom's someone who, who's certainly going to be available. Uh, Brett and I picked up J.J. Hoover in, in labor uh, in the first fab period. Again, that's a mixed labor this past week. Uh, I think what you don't want to do is you don't want to panic in the sense that you don't just want to start cluttering your roster up with a bunch of liars, you know, and, you know, another piece of advice I have, you know, I always get these questions of, well, who should I, out of these relievers in the free agent pool, who should I take, Sergio Santos or Rex Brothers? To me, in a roto league, I don't care that much about the skills. I care about who's getting the saves right now. And this is particularly true if you're in a 12-team mix, so or, or even a standard mix, which is 10 teams. Get the saves. Like, don't worry about the fact that Brothers is better, particularly in a non-keeper. Just get those saves. Just keep churning. Just keep doing what you can. So some of this is format dependent. You know, if you're in an only, you're kind of stuck. You know, with Henderson because someone took Francisco Rodriguez and Tout Wars, and I'm sure he's taken in a number of NL onlys, but. In a mix, it's kind of the, the balance. I, I think you have to make some moves where you can, but you also don't want to get crazy and panic and start taking guys just for the sake of taking guys. Yeah, and just just to uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Brett. No, I was just going to say that the the second part, sort of the second part of that is um, at, at what point do you and what league size would you think about uh, cutting a player like this? I mean, obviously, we're not. I don't think I don't think any of us are advocating cutting either Henderson or Jones, but um, at what sort of at, what's your what's your cutoff point if if the roster spot 
could reasonably be used for uh, for some sort of now value. Do you do you wait until a guy is out of a job for you know a couple of weeks? Do you wait longer than that? What's 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 your general rule of thumb? I I think it's really it's it's case specific. I, I tend to follow the beat reporters uh, really closely just to kind of get a sense of you know whether or not he's ever going to get a shot at it again, um, or if it's just one of those things where he's you know he's he's done and he's not going to get it back. Um, if uh, it, if it's kind of up in the air and he hasn't had the job for about three weeks or two weeks and the replacement's doing a, a really good job, you know, in his stead or or in like kind of a case like Andrew Bailey where he kind of goes down with injury and, you know, you're using kind of a DL spot for him. And then, you know, Koji Uehara just kind of comes in and sets the world on fire. Like it's, it's just one of those things where you have to read the situation. You have to kind of understand everything in context and make your decision that way. Um, I just, you know, I guess my loose rule is if it's, if it's, if it's getting to be about three or four weeks and he's not getting another opportunity, uh, it's it's pretty much time to cut bait uh, because you know we we even saw it kind of with uh, Ernesto Ferreri, uh last year uh, when he kind of lost it for a little bit and then he got it back pretty quick so you know typically if you're going to get that job back you're going to usually get it back pretty quickly. It it, it to me it's format dependent and I, I think to, to cut a guy right away you're talking about ten team mix you're talking about really shallow leagues where there might be a closer even out there. I, I really. I kind of agree with Mauricio. I, I think in a mix, it might be two or three weeks, depending on the guy. You know, and, and again, you know, it, it's the thing about Henderson and Jones. Like, I, we obviously like them both, but I don't think either one's a top shelf guy. To me, it's about the options out there because I, I think the worst thing you can do is to cut a guy like Henderson, particularly if you're just cutting him for the sake of cutting him or you're cutting him for maybe a decent, like, position player where you don't necessarily have a knee, but you're like, yeah, you know, Henderson's worthless at this point. I think you've got to wait as tough as it might be. You kind of got to wait a couple weeks, two weeks for me is the minimum, you know, unless you're talking about a fringy closer to begin with. And, you know, those are often the questions I get too, which is like, oh man, you know, this guy's wasting a spot. I really want to cut him. We haven't even seen Henderson or Jones pitch in a game yet. I'm more likely to cut a closer when, you know, I think of Ryan Franklin a couple of years ago where he comes out, or Axford last year, he comes out, he's struggling, he does badly, the job switches, you know, the manager's lost confidence, the guy's pitching in the fifth or sixth inning. You know, both these situations with Axford and Jones, we really don't know how they're going to be used. We really don't know how it's going to play out. You know, is Henderson going to start pitching, you know, as a setup in the eighth? You know, is, is he going to start you know, getting in those situations, there's going to be a mop-up guy in the fourth or the fifth. And I think that's really the key is, is sort of the usage. A lot of times you'll see a guy, you know, who's been bumped, but he pitches in the eighth, he pitches well, you know, he strikes out the side or has, has a clean inning at least. And you kind of get the gut. You're like, well, you know, that guy's going to come right back. Where you see a guy like Axford or Franklin last year just get buried. And, and they get buried so far that you're like, all right, well – you know, based on usage, there's no way this guy's going to close. You know, sometimes it's a situation where, you know, he might have one or two of those outings in the mop-up role. But generally speaking, you know, you get to a point where you can kind of see how that's going to go. Yeah, and, and Friari from last year is actually really the example of that because he was he was taken out of the role and he was sort of even taken out of sort of an eighth-inning role for a little while. But 
uh, like a week later, he was throwing in the eighth inning, and he was throwing he was throwing gas again. He was he was having clean innings with a lot of strikeouts, and you just you know you just you knew at that point it was only a matter of you know like a week or two before he was you know, start getting saves again, and that was absolutely what happened. Um, I guess for the the logical follow up question to uh, to this is if you are in a reasonably shallow mixed league, maybe somewhere between 10 and 14 teams where Lindstrom and K-Rod are unowned. Um, are you at the point in either of these situations where you would cut either Henderson or Jones specifically for the guy who is getting saves now? I think in a 10-team, yeah, but in a 12-team, probably not. Like I, I know it's only a difference of two teams, but... Um, I think the shallower the league, the more likely I am. It's uh, just kind of one of those things. I, and, you know, these cases aren't necessarily the best cases to kind of prop up there. Uh, I, I am a big Jones believer, but uh, I, I think I would, you know, try to try to suck those saves up in a, in a 10 team. My, my feeling here is it's probably less about the league size and more about the skills versus the role. I'd be more likely to, and you know, part of this too is what Mauricio touched on earlier with the beat writers. I'm the same way. It's kind of how I got clued into Mujico last year and was able to kind of snag him in Tout Wars before anybody was on him because I think Matheny, I was Derek Gould or someone else, but like t- tweeted out that like two hours for Adele, I was like, yeah, Mujico's the closer. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to grab him. But that was a case, you know, he was replacing an injured player. You know, th- these cases are sort of weird, and I agree with Mauricio. I like Jones better than Lindstrom. You know, Lindstrom's more of a, a contact guy. Jones is a little more dominant. I, I feel like eventually Lindstrom's going to, like, lose it. K-Rod's tough because we, we saw last year the Brewers went with, with him longer than I thought they should have, even when Henderson came back from his hamstring. If you're in a 10- or 12-team mixed, I, I think you, depending on your situation, you might want to consider it. And the big problem there is that if you wait, Carrot's going to be gone. So, somebody's going to speculate on him and scoop him up. This is really a feel thing, and, and this is kind of where it's a poker game, and it, it's where your guts are. Do, do you believe in Henderson enough in a mixer that you're like, all right, I'm sticking with him. He'll be back in a week or two. Or is it a feel where you're like, yeah, you know what? I know Carrot's nothing special, but if I lose four to six weeks of saves or more, that's that's a bad thing. The ideal thing to do is be able to hold both, but I understand in a lot of these leagues, it's just not an option. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to echo what you guys are saying. Uh, when it comes to closer information, beat, beat writers are exactly where you want to go for this stuff. You know, that's that's where you can get a leg up on your on your on your league mates, whether you whether you read their stuff, follow them on Twitter. Um, they they know what's going on better than anybody else. So getting that information from them is, is a huge, can be a huge boon. Um, I mean, even just, you know, you can, you can parse language however you want. I mean, Matt, Matt, you're, you're, you're there, but right. The language that Robin Ventura used with uh, Lindstrom was that he was the closer today, right? (laughs) Yeah. Today he's the closer today. And, it just, you know, kind of that entire conversation where he's just like, well, you know, the situation's going to be kind of fluid. We don't know what's going to be happening down the line. It's like, well, that's, you know, not exactly a vote of confidence for Matt Lindstrom. So, um, you know, you have to kind of do a little bit of reading in between the lines and you have to just kind of understand what the manager is saying when he's saying it. And it's like the white side. And I know I, I know we didn't want to get into a specific, but, you know, just 
kind of just to gloss it and to you know make this point the, the white sex situation is just to me kind of feels like one of those situations where um they had been kind of teasing lindstrom for the couple of weeks leading up uh coming out of spring training uh, i think it's going to be kind of one of those things where they want nate jones to earn it and he's going to earn it and even um you know, today, you know, for opening day, when Lindstrom was out there uh, giving up deep fly balls out to the right field corner, uh, they had met Lindstrom, see, or they had uh, Nate Jones warming up as a security blanket. But, but see, I, I will say, and I, I wish I, you know, I kind of saw some of these notes about Lindstrom, and I didn't ignore them, but I, I just sort of dismissed them, like, you know, because Jones is clearly better. These are the kind of situations I hate in fantasy, and I hate them because when the manager starts deciding that he's going to use the guy who's inferior in the role and is almost admitting it by saying, well, you know, I know Jones is good, but he has to earn it. You have that what the hell reaction. We're like, well, what the hell? Like, who cares? It, it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be that way. Like, the best guy should just be out there. You know, the Henderson thing, I'm like, okay, well, if he's having problems and, you know, there's something wrong with him or he's not up to his game, that's fine. Like, you know, we, if, if you watch a Mets game today, Bobby Parnell clearly doesn't look like he's game ready yet. <laughs> and, you know, he, he kind of muddled through and, you know, anything, they didn't destroy him. You know, it was just a bunch of dinks and dunks, but he wasn't dominant the way that he's been in the past. You know, he wasn't throwing in the mid 90s. So, you know, the, the uh, New York guys say 100, but that's generous. But the point being that, <laughs> I, I kind of get nervous about these managers that start using terminology. You know, I, I read, you know, the write-up today about K-Rod and about Henderson, you know, by uh, Tom Hodricourt, who, you know, from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And you read these quotes, and you read kind of what's said there, and it's just what makes me nervous about Henderson. So I don't think Henderson can do it. It's just that the way, you know, Renicky was t- Ron Renicky was talking about Henderson, you're like, uh-oh, like, is this going to be a long-term thing? I just don't like the way a lot of that sounds. Yeah, and you know the other thing that you can the other thing that you can do is you you can sort of examine what managers' tendencies have been in the past. I mean, this, I, I I tweeted this out before, but um, this this White Sox situation rem, almost reminds me exactly of 2012, which was Ventura's first year as manager, when everyone was expecting Addison Reed to be the guy. And he went with Hector Santiago on uh, in the first save situation of the season. And Hector Santiago got four saves. And Addison Reed got 29. So, you know... Well, he, remember, remember what Santiago went for in FAB that year? And he went for 47, right? But, yeah, well, I, I think in Towers, which has the victory rules, Jeff Erickson bid almost his entire budget and somebody bid about 50. Yeah, so... Jeff spent almost half his budget or about half his budget on Santiago. Yeah. But, but then, you know, it, it's a thing too. Like, and this is where this is like, not really, I guess to come all the way around on the show, Fernando Ronnie, that same year was available in a lot of leagues that week. And he got bid, people bid less because like, Oh, it's Fernando Rodney and people who weren't paying attention to the adjustments the Rays made with moving him on the rubber and all that. were like, Oh, you know, it's Rodney. He's not going to be around. Some of this really does come back to the idea. I don't think, you know, Henderson Jones are obviously proven, but they're definitely the skills guys in those pens. They definitely were expected to have the jobs. And I, I agree with you guys. I don't think Lindstrom or K-Rod are anything special. So it seems logically that these roles are going to flip, as opposed to a Rodney, who 
who emerged pretty quickly as the guy in that pen with the best stuff and versus a Santiago, the example you used, Brett, who I think you looked at him and you're like, well, he was promising at that point in time. I think he's improved since then, but he wasn't the, he wasn't the best guy. Like he wasn't the guy who was going to run with the job. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely true. So, um, obviously we will all be keeping tabs on the situation on both of these situations, especially, uh, us as we try to negotiate through labor with uh, right now what is uh, hopefully one closer. So we will uh, <laughs> we'll see how this all works out. Well, I just really hope that J.J. Hoover actually gets a safe situation <laughs> first time Cincinnati has one or else I think I'm just going to cry into my pillow. But um, we are going to take a break and we will be right back. So stick around. Episode 13, Baseball Prospectus Fantasy Podcast. Um, now we are going to uh, talk about opening day because it is opening day and that seems like the most appropriate topic that we could possibly discuss. Um, so what we are going to do is we are going to get circular here and uh, we are going to talk about players that um, – Players that had uh, interesting opening days that um, that we are either keeping close tabs on for uh, for reasons uh, of our own or, or for positive reasons or for uh, for negative reasons. So um, I am going to go first and to uh, to bring the topic to a slightly more. A positive discussion around our, our labor team. I am going to let us all talk about Jose Fernandez for a couple minutes, who looked absolutely dominant against the Rockies today and uh, was a, a, a piece of good news in a sea of uh, bad news for our for our team. Um, I uh, obviously, you know, Mike and I took uh, Jose Fernandez in the fourth round of our labor draft. We've felt pretty confident uh, about him at the time as our ace and uh, watching him today did absolutely nothing to change that I I, I just it, it is really really impossible to figure out how people can hit him he is uh, he is he is something else it just it, the ball just moves all over the place and it's got velocity and he's he's just full of rig it's 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 special to watch um so do you guys either have any uh, uh, any uh, drool to wipe off of uh, Jose Fernandez or uh, any, anyone else you want, you guys want to throw out there? We uh, we got to come up with a name for a slider. Um, yeah. you, you know, this this happened last night, but another pitcher I was impressed impressed with for six innings was Andrew Kashner. Mm. Uh, he did give up a run, but uh, Jeff Young, you know, one of our friends at Baseball Prospectus, he kind of tweeted it best. You know, he was like, Cashers two seamer at times last night looked like a wiffle ball. You know, he, he just was he just was dealing. And another thing Young said, which I agreed with, we were conversing about this. 
The scary thing about Cash are people forget he has 33 major league starts under his belt. He's still learning. You know, there's that. I've been high on Cash, or I've been taking him in a lot of leagues, and you know, I know our colleague Paul Spore is higher on him, is high on him as well. But Cash is really that guy who I think is a little bit undervalued in terms of the step forward he can take. Um, maybe undervalued is the wrong word because I, I think you know he sort of you know there is certainly a floor with him in terms of the innings and all that. But in terms of the ability, you know, he he definitely looked the part last night. Yeah, and the the other thing with Kashner that that people don't people don't remember is you t- you talk about him only having thirty three starts uh, under his belt. Um, he's really still learning how to be a starting pitcher. He was a closer in college. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so he didn't he doesn't even have sort of that that uh, previous ex- previous to professional experience of you know going deep into games uh, really getting comfortable with his sequencing and, and all of the stuff that, that just comes with making starts. Um, so you take his, his raw talent and the fact that he is, uh, that he, he is still, you know, so, so young in the life cycle of a starting pitcher that, you know, the, this, the, the sky really is, is the, the limit with him. Um, you mean, you hope that he can stay healthy, but he's, you know, he he's shown lately that he you know at least has a you know fighting chance to stay healthy. So uh, he's he's certainly going to be a guy to keep an eye on uh, as the season goes on because he could he's he's someone who could legitimately develop into into a fantasy ace if if things if things break right for him. Yeah, if he gets to 200 innings, I think he's he's going to be a top 10 pitcher. It's you know you you kind of look at the stuff and now we're, he's kind of putting it together with all the results and all that and. Uh, when you you know you combine that with the park and he's he just has to cross the innings threshold and he he just has to stay healthy. But he, if he if he gets there, it's he's top ten. Yeah. So Mal, anyone you uh, anyone you have your your eye on? I was kind of a stealth bomber with Alejandro De Aza for the entire off season, but uh, I kind of think that's gone out the window. Uh, he hit two home runs uh, today. A don't think he's going to develop into something of a power threat, but I've always kind of liked him as a, a third, fourth outfielder, and he kind of he gives you a little bit of power, he gives you a little bit of speed, uh, he gets on base enough, and I think um, you know I'm not expecting you know extraordinarily big things out of him, but uh, it was really nice to see him uh, help out a couple of my teams with those two home runs. That's good. Um... Next guy I am going to bring up is a very, very deep option, and it's a player I have liked for a long, long time, and I actually picked him up in a couple of leagues, including uh, TDGX uh, yesterday, and uh, I was able to stream a win today in opening day, so uh, so that was good. Uh, I am talking about Zach Britton of the Baltimore Orioles. He is a guy who um, may very well be available even in some AL-only formats. I think he was taken in towards the end of the reserves in uh, AL Tout, um, but I don't think he was taken in AL Labor. He is, you know, for, former starting pitching prospect, now uh, turned reliever at least temporarily. He is an extreme ground ball pitcher and. It's a uh, Baltimore is a very good place to be an extreme ground ball pitcher. And what what he has going for him is that 
he can throw a lot of innings out of the bullpen. And uh, today he came in after Chris Tillman threw, you know, five decent innings. He pitched the sixth and the seventh. He gave up one hit and he got six ground balls. And that's pretty good. And he got the win. Um, he's probably not going to be in the starting rotation. And I would not pick him up expecting that he'd get into the starting rotation. But I, I think he is a guy who could be a pretty serious win vulture and could throw up to, you know, 90 innings or so out of the bullpen and throw, you know, he, he won't have huge uh, strikeout rate, but his, his ratios should be pretty good. He can, he can keep the ball over the plate. Uh, he, he, he has at least taken a step forward in that. It appears this, this spring as he's moved to the bullpen, um, the control was, was kind of an issue with him in the rotation uh, as, as was staying healthy. But um, he is definitely a guy to watch, and uh, you know, with the with all the uncertainty in the in the Baltimore bullpen, he could be a guy that you know, while he might not be the closer, he could throw a lot of high leverage innings. So he's uh, someone to someone to keep some tabs on if you're in a very very deep league that has start start limits. He is uh, someone who could uh, who could come in handy. So keep going around the circle. Any any anyone else? Uh, have, a, have someone else to bring up? I have kind of a weird stat line. Uh, Ian Desmond got one hit, didn't walk, and scored three runs. I always like those stat lines. They're always fun, especially in any league that counts runs. Um, you know, something I was looking at today, you know, they're not going to do this every day. You know, people were joking, be careful, you're going to score like most of your runs you're supposed to score this season today, but the Phillies are just an example of today. You just can't look at spring training. And, and I'm not even talking about statistics. Like a big a big storyline that people kept harping on was the fact that Chase Utley did not look good this spring, that he was behind on pitches, that he was kind of lunging at stuff, that he didn't have a lot of extra base hits. From what I saw today, he looked fine. You know, now Tanner Shepard's, you know, certainly struggled to say the least. And, you know, you're not talking about him facing a conventional ace. But I've been kind of high on Utley all year. You know, he's another guy that Brett and I took in mixed league labor. I think Utley will be fine when he's on the field. And, you know, Jimmy Rollins is another guy. The narrative around Rollins, you know, was he was benched at one point by Ryan Sandberg. There was a big fight. There was talk that he was going to be supplanted, you know, now and again hit a grand slam today only one for six but again you just have to kind of be careful with some of these spring training stories not to put too much weight in them once the season starts it's a whole new beginning i could not agree with you more about that um one player one one other player i want to bring up who um just because you know he had a good day but there there was sort of news surrounding Around you know news before opening day that you know while he was the starter he was not necessarily guaranteed all the playing time um, but Anthony Rendon in uh, Washington had a pretty good day today capped off by uh, capped off by a three run home run to uh, to put the Nationals ahead in the in the tenth inning or actually uh, but yeah to put them ahead I think it put them ahead. Um, but went two for five with with four RBIs. He could uh, see some uh, some loss of playing time to Danny Espinosa, who 
is on the roster and is a very, very capable defender, even though he will swing at miss and just about anything. But uh, the if Rendon hits, he's going to play. And I really, really think he's going to hit. And I think I think it's going to be a very, very strong season for him if he can if he can stay healthy. I know well, uh, I, I also can see an alignment where, you know, they put Espinosa in at second, Rendon at third, and move Zimmerman into to first. Not to, to spell LaRoche from time to time. Not every day, but probably more of a way to get Espinosa's glove into that lineup, you know, into that alignment. So I, I agree with you, you know, and I have a few shares of Rendon as well elsewhere. And I think he'll play, and I think even if the power's not great, if the on-base percentage is there, he'll, he'll be fine. Yeah, and he's he's definitely a guy who can put up really strong. He, he's a guy who always has had a good uh, – the scouting on him is that he's always had a very, very strong eye at the plate. He's um, he's a guy who can work deep into counts. He uh, He's just a very, very good natural hitter. Um so uh, he's he's certainly someone to uh, to watch as his. You know, I I was surprised all preseason as to the uh, the depths of his uh, draft position in, in most places, um, and I think people are going to regret passing up on him in um, in all kinds of leagues. Uh, any anyone else uh, with uh, anyone else have anyone they want to bring up? There's uh, one more guy I wanted to bring up, and that's uh, the ship has sailed on him for a lot of people. Uh, but uh, he came back from an injury and had a pretty good second half. Uh, that is Giovanni Gallardo, uh, who went six innings and didn't give up uh, any runs and uh, gave up four hits and two walks. And I, I don't think that the strikeout rate is ever going to return. And I, I certainly gave up on the dream that he's, he was going to blossom into an ace. But that's a guy who I think can still be a useful part of your fantasy rotation. Um, I, I do think he's going to have some of those starts where you're just kind of shaking your head. Um, but I, I also think that he's capable of doing this uh, enough to kind of make it worthwhile uh, from a fantasy perspective. And uh, I just want to throw it out there that Albert Pujols just hit an RBI double off Felix Hernandez and... <laughs> He's back, so y'all can suck it. <laughs> you, know, you know, despite Billy Hamilton's poor day-to-day, I, our offense, for the most part in, in labor, did pretty well. So I, we can't really complain, and we don't have Wilson Ramos in that league, so we're, you know, I think we're hanging in there. I didn't yeah, I didn't check to is, see what, what Joe Maurer did today. Uh, I think he went hitless. Which is which is mildly sad, but he's he got did. He's over four. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll rectify that. Yeah, it's it's the first day. You know, it's funny when you, you get excited by like you know I've got Casey McGahee in Tout Wars. He had a four RBI day. I got excited. I'm sure owners in deep leagues got excited by Kirk's, Kurt Suzuki and his two for four with three runs batted in. If you didn't pay much for these guys, it obviously helps. But you, you just have to keep your eye on the bigger picture, Picture, which is Kurt Suzuki is you know, not going to drive in 80 or 90 runs. You know, I wrote about this last year. I, I think we'll talk about this in the coming weeks. I don't think people really overemphasize the first week or the first day. I, you know, People make their comments. I think it's the first two or three weeks where people suddenly start looking at the sample size and going, oh, my goodness, like this is 50 or 75 at-bats. This proves something, and it's where you have to kind of really be careful. 
yeah, that's a, uh, a a very good point. Um, but it is it is definitely fun to get excited about these players on the first day, as as Mike said. So well, and, and the stats count. You know, that's the best part. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you get four ribbies from McGahey, who I paid three for in an NL only. That's that's big. I mean, that that's a big chunk of production for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that was all of the uh, all of the players I wanted to talk about. Um, is there uh, anyone else to throw out, or should we uh, should we wrap this up? I think we can wrap up after a you know big opening day today. Sounds good. So, in in conclusion, have fun, get excited, don't be sad. Um, so uh, with that said, we are going to uh, take a break and then we will uh, close things out. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Flex Fly Forever. We have been a baseball prospectus fantasy podcast. Um, now to, uh, to a couple of uh, final points. Uh, you can uh, order your copy of the Baseball Prospectus Futures Guide now, which features uh, contributions from, uh, features hundreds of pages, literally, of contributions from Jason Parks, which is uh, certainly worth it on its own but it also features contributions from the uh, fantasy staff so uh, there is good stuff in there that is uh, book specific and not uh, not on the site so check that out on uh, on baseball prospectus uh, you can go and sign up for a super premium membership which gets you access to the bat signal which means you can ask us all the questions that you want about trades waiver wire pickups um, what we're wearing our favorite colors uh, anything you want um also we are uh, we have started uh last week our coverage of daily fantasy leagues at baseball prospectus through our partnership with draft street um so paul spore will be taking a look at uh daily daily strategy and uh, it is uh, especially useful if you play daily fantasy but even if you don't it has a lot of good information in there. Um, and that is just about it. Um, thank you for listening to us. Uh, I have been Brett Sayer, and Mike has been Mike Ginella. Mauricio has been Mauricio the Dragon Rubio. I haven't broken that one out in like two months. I had to throw it in there. Um, so... Uh, Hope you guys had as much fun on opening day as we did, and we look forward to talking to you as the season goes on. Um, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye everyone. Bye. Good night, Brett. Good night, Mike. We're gonna get that right one day. You're, you're really.
Casey Jansen and Roldis Chapman on one team. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I, I watched I watched Jansen go for twenty yesterday in that ADL auction, and then you know as the auction was ending, <laughs> I saw that you know Jansen was going on the DL like oh. And you know, it, I because I, we were running kind of long in that reliever thing. Sergio Santos can claim that job and keep it, man. Oh, he's not giving that job back. He's not giving that job back. <laughs> no, he man. Yeah, he's, he's the guy in my AL. I think you know, someone kept Jansen at 10. He's the guy targeting for like 8 or 9, and I'm hoping that people sleep on him. Yeah, no, they're not. They're not. I mean, that that guy, That's Jansen's never getting that back, man. I'm so sad about it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he is. That, that's a good example. That's a good example of the skills thing, or if Santos is 100. Yeah, but, you know what? I think he is, he is gonna he's gonna lollipop the shit out of him. Well, I, I think you know it's interesting. We didn't talk about it either, but I, I think Soria could be similar. If Soria is 100, percent I I know Feliz is good too, but I don't really see why they would necessarily switch. No, yeah. same thing. Did you know more than one in seven U.S. adults have kidney disease and many don't know it? This National Kidney Month, find out what causes kidney disease and what you can do to take control of your health. Take a no-cost Kidney Smart class online at www.davita.com slash kidneysmart. That's www.davita.com slash kidneysmart. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.